Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am super excited to see Eve Rodsky back on Leave Your Mark. Eve, we saw each other before the pandemic. It is now, I don't know, we're not done yet, I guess. But while I was <laughs> baking and basically sitting around watching Netflix, you were like, I'm just going to write another book. So of course, if you've listened to Leave Your Mark, I am sure you've heard Eve's episode. She is the New York Times bestselling author of the book Fair Play. Which, by the way, if you have not heard this episode or bought this book and you are in a relationship of any kind, (laughs) I highly recommend that you check it out. And, of course, you're returning today with Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. I can't wait to talk about this because, I mean, your first book was based also on how incredibly busy you were and what you were doing that is quote unquote invisible work, right? That your husband didn't even know you were doing. And now it's like, okay, you have to do all that work or you're dividing it with your playing cards from the fair play game first. Yep, yep. And then within your set of free time, you're carving out this unicorn space. And finding your unicorn space is all about taking back your time each day, even for just an hour. And viewing that sacred time as space to create and express yourself. So I know, and from your previous episode, that you grew up in a challenging childhood with a single mom who I'm sure did not have time to find her unicorn space, right? So this is a concept that is newer to you, is something you've pursued. Where is this coming from? Well, it's actually a great question. I would say for my mother, it was the opposite. She was my role model to pursue her unicorn space. And, you know, maybe to our detriment, I'd say, because my mother came to New York from Virginia. My father had left her uh, pregnant with a newborn. Um, We moved into an apartment on Avenue C and 14th Street, which is now extremely gentrified. But if you ever look at any of those retro New York pictures, it was the beginning of AIDS, as you know. And We had a methadone clinic on our street. And I can't imagine, you know, being a single mother sort of walking into that environment. But for her, her values, her guiding values, her entire life, she came out of a Syrian Jewish community that did not value education, was always furthering her education and then teaching others. And so she became a professor of social work, which has always been her guiding values, the idea of community organizing to make communities better through their own agency and justice, whether it's racial or gender, 
worker justice. And so ironically, she put that as on par with raising me and my brother. And I will say that she, to teach and to climb up to become a professor at Hunter College, uh, she had to work nights. And I think that was the hardest part for her was that she didn't get to put us to bed. We were often put to bed by a babysitter. As I got older, um, I put my own disabled brother to bed as a latchkey kid. So I would say that I've been inspired since I was a little girl to understand that something for yourself is crucial to your mental health and longevity. And for too long, I feel like we've been defined. And I think your podcast is so beautiful because leaving your mark is exactly what Unicorn Space is. It's women who say to me, I don't care if I have to dance in the rain. It's raining on me, but I'm not drowning because I'm leaving my mark. The things that I'm doing with my creative expression, whether it's a book or a podcast or uh, virtual reality medicine, it doesn't have to be crayons and a piece of paper. Those leave a mark, meaning they can never take it away from you. Oh, so beautiful. And I love that I, I stand corrected because I think that that's... <laughs> always good. But I also, I wanted to say one more thing about that because I think ironically, a lot of people say to me things like, you know, the concept of unicorn space or a creative life, leisure time to pursue creativity is only available to the 1%. And I will say that is exactly the opposite of what I found. I found that the more people rose up a ladder, a white collar ladder of what we look at as success, quote unquote, in a capitalist patriarchy, the less likely people were able to answer the question, what makes you you and how do you share it with the world? I actually think that makes a lot of sense because they're so focused on probably making money that it's it's the opposite of creativity. It's really just pursuing what is the easiest or the fastest path to that. Yeah. You know, I asked people a provocative question on what you would do on a desert island if you had a year there, survivor style, but exactly the opposite where you had the privilege of your children being completely mentally healthy when you return. And it's a fantasy where your job is there and you have access to all the resources in the world. People who had who identified with more economic privilege had a harder time answering the question about what they would do on that desert island because what they were not allowed to answer. And they realized, well, I guess I wouldn't drive an expensive car. I guess I wouldn't spend time uh, in an office getting, you know, fillers or Botox. And so I think the desert island is similar to what happened in the pandemic, where I'm hoping this disruption leads to an existential rerouting people back to their intrinsic motivation and values, as opposed to all this extrinsic milestones bullshit that we've been served in the course of at least in my lifetime? Well, first of all, I think this book can certainly help. But I have to say, not to be negative, I think everyone snapped back like a rubber band. Like, I think right. everyone, I mean, like, I'm literally That is like, negative, right? Exactly. It is negative because it, it nothing changed. Right, back to normal. Who wants to go back to normal? Can I tell you what the number one uh, combination of emotions that I heard from women was? That they felt overwhelmed and bored. Do you want to go back to normal of a life of being bored and overwhelmed? No, no, (laughs) no, no, no. So interestingly, unicorn is the term used, you know, by venture capital industry to describe a startup company with a value of over a billion dollars. So why unicorn space? 
Well, first of all, that was intentional. And you're the only person who sort of caught on to that because- Really? I'm honored. Yes. Well, you're a great interviewer. We know that. Thanks, Eve. So that is intentional. It's sort of a wink at what we just said. Unicorn Space- is a sequel to Fair Play. I mean, you don't necessarily have to read Fair Play, but Fair Play is about women stepping into their full power in the world by inviting men to step into their full power in their home because the dirty secret is that, you know, we don't get time back just by waking up an hour earlier as some of these ridiculous productivity specialists will tell you. We get more time back by doing less unpaid labor, less childcare and housework. But I think in the course of a lifetime, for me to really understand that an hour holding a child's hand in the pediatrician's office is just as valuable as an hour in the boardroom. Redefining the unicorn instead of this, again, extrinsic milestone to reach a valuation of a billion dollars, to look at it like the mythical equine it is, which is space. Unicorn space is this idea that the thing that we don't provide women The thing that is the most provocative is when women take up space, whether it's when they take up space in the workplace, whether when they take up space wherever they go, we're called bossy, we're told to turn it down, we're told to dress a certain way, we're told to have a certain type of relationship with our bodies. And so the idea of the space to be, right, the space to dream, the space to grow, the space to cultivate what it is that makes us uniquely us, it doesn't exist, (laughs) right? It it doesn't fucking exist like the mythical equine. It doesn't exist until we claim it. And that requires a lot more than a walk around the block. That requires an understanding of what a true boundary is for women or a true antidote to burnout for women, which is sadly not a, a drinks with a friend, even though I love that. The true antidote to burnout is being interested in our own lives. So People have jobs, people have families, people have friends, people have, you know, the two loads of laundry that I have upstairs right now, (laughs) the dishwasher, the dogs have to be walked. When you sort of declare this hour, and by the way, is it an hour a day? Is that what you're recommending? Two hours a week. I mean, literally, when I start to say that to people and I got so much pushback, like that sounds just really overwhelming. When I start to meet them in person, in the past couple of months, I was able to just grab their screen time app, you know, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, that two hours a week, right. That you're spending two and a half hours a day mindlessly scrolling. As my friend said, when I talk about curiosity as a word, I like to insert for passion, which we'll talk about. She says, well, Eve, you know, the only thing I'm curious about these days is scrolling my friend's, you know, Venmo transactions, which made me laugh because We can get into a place where, as my friend Dr. Cheryl Gonzalez-Ziegler says, you know, where it almost becomes funny to try to escape our lives. You know, mommy wine or the mindless scrolling. And I never want a place where people feel like, you know, like you said earlier, sort of binge watching 17 hours of Netflix. Um, The key to happiness is, as Professor Lori Santos says, who's also a good colleague and friend who... I sat in her happiness lab um, on her course online. She's at Yale. And she says, you know, making your leisure time more nutritious is really linked to our mental health and our longevity. So if you think you want an exercise practice out there, I'll tell you, you can put that aside. I'd rather you have a creativity practice, a unicorn space practice first. 
And then um, you can exercise later. Unless that's your unicorn space. If your unicorn space is running triathlons, go for it. Okay, so some people might say, I'm not creative. Like, that's not me. I'm not creative. So I don't think that you believe that. No, everyone is creative. I mean, I'm the most left-brained person in the world. Who would have ever thought that the gender division of labor could be creative? But it is. Fair Play is a highly creative book, I think, because it took concepts from organizational management in the workplace and it remixed them for the home by asking a fundamental question. What would our lives look like if we treated our homes as our most important organizations? Or as one man said, you mean the opposite of my house when we wait to take the dogs out, right? They're taking a piss on the rug. And I said, (laughs) exactly, the opposite of that. Whatever that is, the opposite. But the beauty is this book, um, you know, I can't tell you. Well, I can tell you. I would say this podcast is one of your unicorn spaces because you have the fundamental three C's. So instead of creativity, I redefine creativity as unicorn space through three C's, right? Because I say to you, I can't tell you what your unicorn space is, but I can help you find it or claim it if you know what it is or level up in it. And that's really what the journey through talking to 12 expert disciplines and 750 people did for me was I was able to see a through line in the research and in the stories I heard. And that was this three C's. And so I'll give you an example with putting words in your mouth about you. I would say that leave your mark, right? You start with a curiosity of understanding, you know, interesting people, um, how they leave their mark, what are they doing differently? You have a curiosity, right? And then you reach out to those people, you connect with them, and you talk to them, right? You take your curiosity, but then you pair it with a connection. And so you and I became spiritual friends again. We got to reconnect after your life. You knew my husband. Um, And it was really fun. And I still feel connected to you just really from that one interview together and also seeing you now through your channels and supporting you. But that connection was paired with your curiosity. And then you have to do the hardest C, which is sometimes and often in my interviews, the hardest C, which was completion. And the idea that your interview may have gone off the rails or, you know, your guests may have been not talking about what you wanted to, you know, you still edit, you still shared it with the world. It goes up and out somewhere. And that's scary, right? And so I would say, you know, that's to me, you are a great example of unicorn space, right? For your listeners, the idea that you have curiosity plus connection plus completion It's a very hard thing. And this is somewhat triggering work, same way fair play was, because when I started to share these concepts in the early drafts, one of my friends, Amanda, said to me, well, Eve, I don't like your completion C because (laughs) I I really love ideas, but um, I'm a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. Right. And it was so hard to hear that. But she said, and I was like, well, how do you know that? And she's like, well, every time GoDaddy tells me to renew a website, (laughs) I am remembering my graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. They keep coming up every year and I keep renewing them. I said, well, it's never too late, right? It's never too late. But what I would say is that if you have something in your life that sparks curiosity, that allows you to connect with others, and that ultimately you can complete, um, that feels hard, but you complete it, right? So reading a book is great. That's self-care though. Writing a book is unicorn space. Uh, You know, listening to a podcast, I would argue is self-care. Producing a podcast, being interviewing for a podcast, even being on one is unicorn space. 
Baking a pie, unicorn space. Eating a pie, that's been my, as I said to you earlier, that's my self-care. Um, hence my delicious weight gain during COVID-19. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. So it's so hard to schedule anything, right? So we're committing to ourselves and we're scheduling two hours a week. By the way, I got to tell you, two hours doesn't sound crazy. I mean, it sounds manageable if you really, really try, right? What's the direct correlation in your research with everyone you met between actually doing that and sort of the fulfillment you feel after? Such a great question, because I think a lot of your listeners may have heard of the flow state. Mm -hmm. People assume that they understand the benefits, but I actually didn't find a lot of people who really understood the benefits of having these active pursuits. Um, a flow state, right, is sort of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is a he just passed away, but he's sort of considered the father of creativity where he talks about the idea of flow, right? That when you and I are together here, this hour will feel like a second, right? But then from six to seven, when I'm with my kids, <laughs> that hour will feel like 10 million hours, right? Yeah. And so it plays with the idea of time. And why I'm so obsessed with time is because that's really the through line of unicorn space and fair play. It's the idea that when I sit now on productivity panels or creativity panels, often I'm sitting next to white men who say things to me like they assume we're going to be in a flow state because they have two uninterrupted days a week, right? You just have to carve that out, Eve, right? And not only does it sound privileged and ridiculous, but women on average in the pandemic were interrupted every three minutes and 42 seconds during this one time journal survey, three minutes and 42 seconds. And I know that that was my reality. And so this idea of getting into a flow state of uninterrupted attention and sustained attention for something you love is actually pretty provocative. And so my own example was when I started to write and be curious about the gender division of labor, about why in my household, somebody who is a Harvard trained mediator, who's trained in difficult conversations, plus being a product of a single mother who vowed I would have an equal partner in life, ended up still doing literally every single household and child care task for my family. I was so curious about how this happened to me with all that privilege. I wanted Sunday mornings off to research. And you know, there was no book deal. This was not paid. This was just a curiosity that I wanted to follow. And it felt important. Um, this is way before the pandemic. This is 2012 at this point. And the idea of what happened to me when I try to take Sundays off. First, obviously, Seth and I, this is before Fair Play. Well, this is not a spa day, right? You know, you have to be here and help take care of the kids. A lot of resentment from my partner. Then all the people around me. Well, what are you doing on Sundays? Like, that's your time with your kids. You work during the week. I even had one woman say to me, well, Seth's going to find a girlfriend because you're never with him during the week or on the weekend. Wow. I was like, what is happening here, right? And maybe it's different now. It's We're a decade later. This is post Me Too. We're starting to see that the messages a lot of women give each other were complicit in our own oppression. But it felt highly shaming. There was domestic encroachment, meaning I think, well, I'm supposed to be here for two hours researching, but I really should go to Ben's game. So maybe I'll just do an hour and drive over and surprise him at, you know, the Westwood um, Bad News Bears field. So the idea of the permission to be unavailable, the permission to, you know, burn that guilt and shame when you are unavailable, and the permission to ask for what you need, unfortunately or fortunately, had to become the first half of this book because I couldn't just jump into the creativity plan because there were too many hurdles. So 
I don't know if this is like a t-shirt or what the hell this thing is, but permission <laughs> to be unavailable, that so resonates with me. That is a very hard thing to get. By the way, not just from your family, from your employer, from God knows who, from your mother. I mean, if I'm unavailable for an hour, she thinks I'm dead. Right. <laughs> see, so, see. I'm like, so. you read my book. You are also a professor of social change, mom, and you're interrupting me during my flow state over and over again. So I pick up because I think something's wrong. <laughs> I know that. And it's great. Thank God we are lucky. We have mothers that are alive. It sounds like and care about us. But it is just funny how you're right. The permission to be unavailable, even if you give it to yourself, which is the hardest part, this society sort of collapses <laughs> around us. You know, thank you for resonating with that because it resonates so much with me. And I think the reason why it did was because fair play for me was really a reckoning around what I often talk about. My typical talk is around how men's time as a society, we guard it like it's diamonds, right? When I talked about that on our initial episode together, that we as a society collectively agree men's time is to be guarded. All you have to do is call. I called 50 schools for fair play and asked why you never call men. Um, and, and believe me, if you hear those schools answers, we guard men's time. And then what we do with women's time is we convince women like us that our time is infinite, that our most valuable currency is something that we should give away. And how glorious would it be if we can keep some of that currency for ourselves? That's really what this book contemplates. It is a political movement. It's a cultural movement. Because when women take up space, as we know, it creates change that's threatening for a lot of the existing power structures. So many words of wisdom. So I, I'm curious, though, because I, obviously, the pandemic, what is it, 54 million worldwide are, you know, out of the workforce. And then this book is sort of born through that. And it's telling women to take back what's really already inside them that they're sort of not acknowledging, right? But at what point does unicorn space, it starts as like a seed or two hours a week, whatever. And then all of a sudden it starts to grow. And then at what point does it actually become like a side hustle and then actually entrepreneurship? Because I do think there's a through line between. There is. So talk about that. Well, that's a beautiful question. Again, no one's ever asked me that. But I think what's so fascinating about this idea, right? Just when you think about space, Space is a place, like if you ever hear Mark Zuckerberg speak or anybody that doesn't, you know, I don't resonate with in terms of the amount of privilege they have for their uninterrupted time. But this idea, this space to tinker, this space to ideate, in the science it's called diffuse thinking. You know, it's the thing you get in the shower where you're like, oh my God, I have to run out of naked from the shower and write down an idea. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> that diffuse thinking is very different than like, okay, I have to check off, okay, string cheese on my Costco list. And oh, yeah, I need the light bulbs, right? That's very directed thinking. Diffuse thinking is absolutely tied to ideas. Curiosity, connection, and completion, I would add, is actually the same recipe for entrepreneurship. Because what I see for women in business is that when they can find that sweet spot of being curious, and this is the funny part, you know, if you listen, and this is shown again in the, in the studies from Harvard Business Review, that men entrepreneurs, they're looking at, you know, this is what can get me to be a unicorn, you know, the bad unicorn we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Whereas women entrepreneurs almost always look at it as what problem am I solving for society? <laughs> right. 
right? It's like, again, more emotional labor. Thank you, world. But when women entrepreneurs look at it that, you know, I have an idea that I think can make society better. Often it's stuck in the ideas phase because what we often hear is they don't get connected to capital. That's the second C. They don't get connected to co-founders. They don't have a network to get connected to others that can move them forward. Whereas, you know, a lot of spaces have been exclusively male for a long time. What you think of country clubs and golf courses and Mm -hmm. still these places of privilege, boardrooms. So when you have the curiosity plus the connection, same thing with entrepreneurship. Um, A lot of entrepreneurs who also did identify their job as their unicorn space said that the completion was really, really hard. The getting the product to market, the getting it actually out there to market, to complete their own milestones of what they wanted for the thing that they were doing. And so I think it's, yes, what I would say to you is I think that that framework, whether you're thinking of your unicorn space as something to help you stave burn off away because your job is really difficult, or you think that this unicorn space could become something bigger. So for me, for example, fair play, an idea 10 years ago has become a big portion of my career. So what has led me to, though, is say I need another unicorn space in addition to helping women find their own unicorn spaces. Otherwise, I'll burn out. And so for me, the return to dance during COVID, signing up for Broadway Dance Center, like virtual classes and taking advanced beginner jazz again. Um, I think I even have some of my, oh yeah, I have like my dance gloves, you know, in my drawer still (laughs) for my jazz hands. But it was really powerful for me to have something else in addition. And you can have more than one. But I will say, I never liked the word side hustle. I've never liked the word hobby. I've never liked the word vanity project. I've never liked the word passion project. I like the word unicorn space because I think we always devalue what women do. And sometimes those words in context with women can feel devaluing to me when they say, oh, well, that's just a hobby. So duh, obviously that can't be important. I can't put that as first on my list when I think it needs to be. Is unicorn space a luxury or necessity? It's not optional. It's, it's an actual necessity. We know right now that women are being diagnosed twice as often as men with anxiety disorders. And that doesn't even come into account with all of those escape syndromes I was telling you about that my friend Dr. Ziegler writes about with alcoholism, with casual escape through scrolling our friend's Venmo transactions or the hours of TV. We know that uh, the flow state The combination of happiness and meaning, which is where you get when you're at the intersection of your unicorn space, is very, very important for our longevity and for our mental health. A good friend today said to me, you should call it the big rocks theory, right? Where you can't put your sand in first and then put the big rocks in. Like unicorn space really are the big rocks that have to go in first. And, you know, we're so trite because we keep hearing, well, put your oxygen mask on first. But then we also hear people saying, well, you can't escape your roles or be have a permission to be unavailable. So which one is it, right, Eve? Well, what I would say is when you put yourself first, when you understand your values and you tie it to that practice of putting your own life and your own interests first, of course it makes you a better parent. Of course it makes you a better worker. We know this. A woman just told me, she works at Snapchat. 
She just told me that she was taking the unicorn space messages to heart. She was interested in Broadway theater. She just did a beautiful RFP that was not on writing. It was a produced Broadway musical and she got the assignment. So wow, that didn't make her a worse worker, right? That just is additive. All of this stuff is additive. And you bring your children along in your journey with you. And at the end of the day, when they see you as more than your roles, it's only better. It is only better for them to recognize that especially young boys that I'm raising, that women get to be defined outside their roles. That's a very important lesson for young men to learn early. I so agree. So fair play is still going strong. I mean, it is, to me, such an essential read because this sort of invisible work I was talking, um, Jen Meyer was on my podcast last night. And, you know, it's one of those things we, we were just talking about, like, you know, everything we were doing up until that moment of when we were going to like start recording this. And it's really hard. It's really hard to make space for the things that actually have to get done during a day, right? So if you're carving out this time, what are you removing to carve out this time? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we have to debunk this myth that having it all means doing it all. And you know, when people say get up an hour earlier, all this bullshit that we've heard over the past 10 years about what, you know, it's our problem. You know, obviously, if you can't fit it all in, it's our problem. There's just one answer. And that's why Unicorn Space is a sequel. I didn't start with it. We have to stop doing childcare and housework. We just have to. We have to stop both showing up for every single recital. Yeah. We have to both stop going to Costco together and then we forget the diapers and we bring home buffalo wings that we didn't even want and can't afford, right? <laughs> so fair play is the foundation of the house. The foundation of the house that is rotting, that is crumbling, is the dirty little secret that we've built society on the backs of the unpaid labor of women. And then when we allowed women the permission to be unavailable from their roles as a partner and a parent, it was just to be a professional. But we didn't say men should do childcare and housework then. We just said offload it to women of color, right? Because we heard, at least Gen X heard for years and years that white feminism was outsourcing. That's what I heard. That was my message that I heard, right? Get good help, uh, hire a housekeeper. And that is a fundamentally flawed message because it's just transferring work from white women to undervalued labor of domestic workers. So there's really no other answer to me than the concepts of what fair play espouses, which is fair play and fair day. Fair play being we need to invite men into their full power in the home. And these heterosisgender narratives, by the way, are not just for heterosisgender people. I had a great uh, Instagram live with my colleague Clay Drinko, who's in a gay relationship. And because he's the creative and he's the book writer who makes less money, he feels incredibly put upon, like he has no time, he's lost his identity. So this affects all family structures when we assume that having caregiving responsibilities means we need to erase ourselves. And by the way, that starts with literally the minute we get to the hospital. I remember my nurses just started calling me mom. Hi, mom. Nice to see you, mom. I'm like, I forgot I had a name. One of the first gifts I got was, was a necklace that said mom on it. And I remember how provocative and important it was when I started writing this book that I retired my kids' initials and mom necklace, and I put my own initial back on. And I said, do you guys even remember? Do you know my name? Can you say my <laughs> name? Is my name important to you? Because it is to me. You know, I gave up my last name and that was probably a mistake. 
But um, I wasn't thinking about these issues, you know, 15 years ago. So I'm going to put my first initial back on my neck and that's where it's going to stay. Just like you have hats that have your name on it. Just like you have your own initial jewelry. I'm getting my own initial and my name is Eve. And it's important that you know that I am more than just your mother. And that was sort of my own symbolic return to myself at the beginning of the writing of the sequel. Amazing. So for people who are taking this all in and are like inspired because you're so inspiring in in everything that you're saying and they don't have interest or they don't know sort of where to begin, what would you recommend as far as like just trying to create that unicorn space and be creative? I think that's a great question. And the way I look at it is why I love the word curiosity more than I love the word passion. I think this idea of the return is very limiting because, you know, I grew up, as you said, you know, thank you for acknowledging that. And, you know, there was trauma in my childhood. And so the idea of go back to what you liked as a kid, I'm like, well, I don't know. I was bullied as a kid. You're like, actually. (laughs) Yeah. And PS40 was hard for me. And um, my mother lied to get us into that school because, you know, she didn't like the public school that we were going to go to. And so that was very problematic. So I had to hold a lie, you know, the shame of a lie that I was in the school authentically for all my life. And so I didn't really, you know, play with a lot of kids because I was afraid they were going to discover, you know, all the stuff that you can play back. Oh, yeah. So the idea of the return sometimes is um, limiting. So what I like to do is start and there's a really beautiful exercise, I think, in this book that is inspired by 10 years of mediation for you know my day job, as you know, or at least your listeners will learn if they listen to our first episode, is I work for families like the HBO show Succession. And what I do for those families is I create systems so that they can make really hard decisions. But when I first go into those families, often the matriarch or patriarch, I will have been hired by their family office to discuss issues of succession. And a lot of times I would hear, well, I'm not going to die, so I'm not sure why you're here. And... <laughs> I think Logan said that recently. Oh, my God. I swear to God, I cannot watch it because I'm telling you, I could write these things. So if they said that. I'm surprised you weren't called in as a consultant. I have really good stories. And so, yes, I'm sure he he probably did because it's that common. So it was really limiting to say, well, okay, where do you start with these bigger conversations if someone just shuts you down? And what I realized is that the idea of an act of legacy, right? Who are you now? How do you want to be defined now? Right. I can talk about leave your mark and say, you know, you create beauty in this world. I see it on your Instagram. I would say if I could, you know, phone a friend, that's one of the exercises. I would say, I'm going to assume your values are connection and beauty, or at least two of them. Um, I see it in how you live your life. So the idea of returning to a group of spiritual friends for you to ask them, what do I value? Right. What am I good at? There's a lot of questions like that in the book, you know. One woman that I loved my interview with was Sandy Zimmerman. She is the oldest woman to ever ring the red buzzer on American Ninja Warrior. I don't know what made me want to reach out to her, but I did on DM because I found, you know, she started off as a single mother. She didn't have economic privilege. She's a PE teacher, definitely didn't have time raising young kids. So I'm like, how did she carve in the time to become one of the best athletes really in America? Um, You know, Olympians can't even do this. And she had such a beautiful thing about... What happened when she became curious about whether she could do parkour, which is the sport that is American Ninja Warrior, she said to me, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to sign up for this reality show called American Ninja Warrior and back into, you know, some of the skills you need for it. 
but it was a really delicate dream. And so she said her advice was, you know, be careful with who you share your delicate dreams with, right? Because it's very easy, as we said earlier, to have people rescind that permission to be unavailable for you and say, well, you're crazy or wait till your kids are older or why would you do that Mm -hmm. now? It's going to require a lot of travel and your kids need you or all of these blah, 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 you know, societal messages that just are bombarding us since birth. And so the idea, I think, of where you start is you start with a delicate curiosity and you just start fostering it. If you don't know what that is, you can start with your values. I'm just asking for 20 minutes, one values exercise where you can revisit what values you want to put forth today. So for me, it was returning to justice and community. I knew that those were things I wanted to foster. I want women to find their own unicorn space. I care about gender justice. They're married in this message. But there's a very Jewish value of obligation that I've also lived with. And I said, you know what? I've lived with obligation for 44 years or 43 years at this point. And I think I'm going to put that on a back burner. I don't really feel obliged to wipe asses and do dishes anymore. Let someone else do that, right? Let Seth take the lead in all this unpaid labor. Why don't you take school forms, Seth, for the year? (laughs) School forms. School forms. He was like, all right, I got that card. But it was understanding that I wanted the return to not my childhood, but to my values that I care about my active legacy today. And I think it's very easy if you're stuck to ask friends, you know, who who won't dash your delicate dream, the good friends. And then sometimes those are not the people you've known forever. Sometimes it's just you for me, right? People who you may not know forever, but you've met in a context of your power. Yeah. And I think that that's how a lot of people restart. I love that because I also think sometimes the people who are not super, super close to you might actually have a better objective view on like what they see. 100%. 100%. And it's fun to ask people that question. And it's even more fun. There's a new study that came out that said, you know, emotionally intelligent people ask really zany questions. And so I was like, oh, I must be really emotionally intelligent, right? Because I literally started on Costco lines. I'd be in a mask at Trader Joe's being like, excuse me, um, I'm doing research for a book. And I just want to know, you know, do you have something that makes you you? And are, do you share it with the world? Like, are you a ukulele player or anything that you love? You know, I'm just asking random strangers. <laughs> on the street what their unicorn space was. And, you know, I'd say most people thought literally I'd lost my mind, but I'd say, you know, a nice minority were willing to really engage me in those conversations. And I found some really cool people doing some amazing things just by asking. Oh, I love it. Well, this book is incredible. And I swear to God, when I first saw it, I was like, how the hell did you find that space to write this book? Literally, that's what I thought. Well, thank you. You made your space. You made your space. And I talk about that journey, by the way. I talk about how hard it was in the beginning of the pandemic and how I used to literally try to post an unavailable post-it on my body to show my kids, you know, red light, green light, and it's on my body. And then there was one funny day where Ben just busted in and interrupted me, even though I said I was unavailable. I was like, what? What do you want? And he's like, uh, he had no answer, but he looks at me and he goes, uh, your post-it your post-it is falling off, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tiffany Dufu, who was on recently, who's the founder and CEO of The Crew, which is like this women's- I love her, by the way. Hi, Tiffany. We love you. Yeah, she's amazing. So she has a slipper system. 
she has three different slippers, three different colors, and her family knows it's either mommy's here to play, mommy needs alone time, or mommy's working. And they literally look down on her feet and they know what zone she's in. Oh my God. I can't believe I don't know that about her. That is freaking genius. I literally was like, wait, what? Genius. <laughs> I love that. That is someone who has boundaries. Yes. Thank you, Tiffany, for setting those boundaries. And she actually has a beautiful quote in this new book, which I'll summarize as saying, you know, if you want a different result, you got to do something you haven't done before. Absolutely. And you know what? It may sound scary to get out there, to start learning how to get up the salmon ladder as Sandy Zimmerman did, or for all of us out there who are, you know, trying to share ourselves with the world in some way. But the more we can do it together and recognize that the power is in the completion, even if it's not perfect, getting our ideas out there, getting them, supporting each other in new different ways of living and being. You know, I can't think of a better wish for the non-back to normal as we started this podcast with. I think you just said something really important, though, because women wait for that perfection, right? You may be creative. You may have an idea. You're waiting for it to be perfect. It never happens. Never. It doesn't happen. I mean, the one last story I'll tell you is of a woman named Renee Brinkerhoff, who I love so much. She was a stay-at-home mom defined by her roles. She said, I was literally physics. I was an object at rest. Objects of motion stay in motion. Object at rest, stay at rest. I was an object at rest. And so her solution was she was curious about being an object in motion. She was like, I had a need for speed. And that could come out in very different ways. Just the idea of being in motion was the value she wanted to create. So she got curious about car racing. She signed up for a car race called the La Carrera uh, Panamericana, which is literally a race across Mexico that only men do. And they fall off cliffs and they die. And she did it. She placed in the top 10. And now she's one of the top racers in the world at 65. So what I tell you, it's literally never too late. It's never too late. I had my father, who's 80, tell me that he is now in charge of a full dog day because he thought he was helpful by taking the dogs to daycare. And he didn't realize he needed to bring the medicine and actually feed them when they got home. And now that's what he's doing for Marcia so she can go back to writing a book about abortion and in this climate's really important to her. So, you know, any age and stage, I will say, it's really never too late. I love that. Well, Eve, you're continuing to just crush it. And I know you're leaving your mark actually literally in people's homes and in the way that they think about themselves. I think you're reframing the way that people value time their time, their energy, what they're interested in. And I think it's such a service to humanity. So keep doing what you're doing. And I can't wait to see what's next. My God, if you have, if you attack one another (laughs) unicorn space hour, God only knows, take over the world. Well, I really appreciate this because like I said, you know, speaking to you is always inspiring. Listening to you is always inspiring. And those values, like I said, of beauty and community, you know, they show through and, And we feel it. It's contagious. So thank you. Thanks, Eve. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at Aliza Licht XO. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Aliza Licht. I would love to hear from you. 
If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to elizalick.com for more information. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.